Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, episode 91, Changing Hawaiian Lives with Space and Outreach. Today, we meet with Amber Imai Hong. She's an avionics engineer and outreach specialist. And born and raised on Hawaii Island, Amber developed skills in robotics, astronomy, and tinkering while attending Waiakea High School, which led her to join a small satellite team in her freshman year at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, where she majored in electrical engineering with a focus on electrophysics. She graduated with her Bachelor's of Science in 2012 and has been working with the Hawaii Spaceflight Laboratory on spacecraft design, development, testing, operations, and community educational outreach. Over the past 14 years, Amber has worked on 11 satellite projects, three suborbital payloads, and has mentored several student teams who worked on the development of testing systems and spacecraft components. And in May of 2020, she became the program manager for the Artemis CubeSat kit with the goal of developing a low-cost educational satellite kit for community college and undergraduate students who had no formal aerospace program. In July of 2021, Amber won one of the governor's emergency educational relief grants to bring the satellite kit to middle and high schools across Hawaii. Hands-on science education and community involvement are very important to Amber and she actively is involved in the robotics and STEM communities. Engaging students and their parents in science and technology is critically important to helping her serve these underserved communities. And through her work with the Hawaii Space Grant Consortium, Amber continues to work with teachers, parents, and community leaders, as well as robotics advisors, to find new ways to bring science to the Aloha State. We are so thrilled to meet with Amber today, and as always, we hope that you'll stay tuned after for our takeaways. Welcome, Amber Imai Hong. We're so grateful to be able to spend some time with you this afternoon. Can you start off today by sharing for our listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, and how you're involved in space? Aloha. So um, my name's Amber. I grew up on the Big Island of Hawaii. Um, I grew up on the Hilo side, so that's the wet side, um, and the not so touristy side of things. Um, and uh, as a child, um, I started tinkering when I was very young. Um, I worked on pinball machines with my dad um, and that's how I got my start in electronics. Um, and <clears throat> growing up, my mom was um, in a wheelchair. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is giving out. Um, my mom was in a wheelchair um, for about 20 years. Um, and so while, while I was growing up, um, it was always fun to try to figure out how to make life easier for her and for my dad and for myself even um, to maneuver a house that was not designed for um, a, a wheelchair <laughs> occupant and to um, as uh, she had a neurological disorder so um, as her uh, functionality started to decrease trying to be able to create um, devices that she could use to help her um, have more autonomy, so be able to eat by herself without um, having us be there to like feed her because she felt that was very, that was tough for her, her ego. Um, so I originally wanted to get into engineering. I knew from a quite young age that I wanted to go into engineering. Um, and the, my first dream job was an astronomer, but I did, I knew um, being dyslexic and um, ADHD that um, I wasn't the best student, so I was not going to be able to complete a PhD or I, I didn't 
have very strong hopes at age five of you know being able to complete all of this high level schooling. Um, so engineering was something that I could relate to. I knew how to solder from, from while I was in elementary school. I um, knew how to uh, tinker and I tried fixing things and stuff. So um, just being around um, people who fixed cars and computers um, really helped me to focus. Um, and I got very involved in robotics as a high school student. Um, that was the only thing that was available at the time. Um, so I did I did robotics, I did cars. Um, and then uh, on my third day of undergraduate, um, after interning at uh, the observatories on Mauna Kea, um, at the East Asian Observatory is what it's called now. Um, it was called Joint Astronomy Center then. Um, but once I started undergrad, um, one of my classmates approached me and said, hey, I heard you were in robotics. Do you want to work on space robots? And I was like, ooh, tell me more. Um, and so I just really got into um, doing small satellites. And that was 15 years ago. So I've been doing um, small satellite design um, testing and operations for roughly 15 years now and a lot of mentoring. <laughs> I have watched generations of students um, come through um, the Hawaii Space Flight Lab, and especially since I've watched a lot of them go through the robotics programs here in Hawaii, um, as I still volunteer, and I'm very active in that. Um, so I <laughs> I get to watch them go from elementary all the way through undergrad, um, and sometimes even beyond that, um, and just kind of increase their passion for astronomy, space science, um, and engineering as a whole. Such an impressive story. I mean, that's like book worthy, right? Like you recognize <laughs> that that's a book that needs to be made into some kind of like movie afterwards. I mean, about super inspirational, right? But I love how you're, you recognized early on that out of a need and out of, for, for, out of someone that you cared about, you wanted to design something. So that's amazing. That's led you here. I'll just jump on that sentiment. You are the definition of a really good engineer, which is you were a problem solver from An early inventor. on. I think that's so cool. And not only were you solving problems, but you were doing good for others. Yeah. And that's what we want our kids to learn. That's hard sometimes for students to learn is that those two things can be together. You can be a yeah. great problem solver and do good and somebody will pay you for it too. So <laughs> bonus. Well, right. Because that is the bonus. Right. If you think about it, it's like any of these inventions happen because there's a need for something, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, we can be looking around us, where is the need and how do we solve that problem? You know, so anyway, kudos. Sorry, I think it's like, <laughs> thank you. Uh, no one, no one would have, I would have never suspected that maybe you had grown up with dyslexia and maybe still work with that now. Um, what sort of strategies, strategy, strategies did you use that helped you, obviously you're an electrical engineer. That is one of the hardest kinds of engineers to become, right? Yes. We rank them industrial, but up there at the top are aero and electrical and maybe computer science. How did you go from, I, I have trouble unjumbling my words to I'm an electrical engineer. I think that story, I'd like to hear that one as well. So I actually didn't find out that I was dyslexic until I was in high school. Um, I had a GT English teacher who had us do like a writing assignment. And as we were speed writing, she looked over at the way I was writing and just said, oh, you're dyslexic. And she kept walking. And I was like, wait, 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 come back here. <laughs> Explain. Mm -hmm. um, because 
I, I was in 10th grade, um, gifted and talented English. I was like in advanced English. Um, I was like, how is that possible? And she's like, look at the way that you write. Um, your brain knows what letters need to be in this word, but it doesn't necessarily recognize instantaneously what order those letters need to go into. So my handwriting is atrocious because I just um, like, I write the letters and then I, when I get to the end, I know I'm missing some. So I'll go and like scribble them back uh -huh. in, but then that means that my letter spacing is all over the place. Oh, um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know. I, I knew I read really slow and I, my spelling was really bad, um, especially in my lower grades. Um, so I, 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 I struggled with that, but I had really high reading retention. Um, so even if it took me three times longer than my classmates to read a passage or a, you know, a section of a book, um, it was, I was gonna retain a lot more information than they were um, at the end of it. So when it came to like, when we're, you know, when they're asking you questions about like, what did you read? What were the characters doing? What was the point of this story and stuff? And it's like, oh, I knew all those answers. But like, if you asked me right. to read it in a short time frame, I would only be able to get through like a third or half of it. So it was um, just kind of learning how to deal with it. Um, just it, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of effort. Um, I mix up fours and sevens as well. I know um, dyslexia presents itself in different ways. So sometimes it's just like, the chaotic jumble in your brain where like you don't know where you put things i misplace my phone all of the time um <laughs> so yeah uh -oh. i mean, like yes. i might also be <laughs> were, uh, did, did you like to read as a young child uh, were books important to you and if so what were what type of books did you lean towards before even high school so um, I loved reading. Um, I grew up in a very small town um, and my family wasn't, uh, didn't have very much money. Um, so reading was my escape. Um, I liked reading about fantasy. I liked reading about uh, places that were far away um, just to get a better understanding of the world. Um, because I knew Hawaii was great. I love Hawaii and I it will always be home to me. But at the same time, I wanted to know what else was out there and what other cultures there were out there. Um, and just like, because we have TV and we get to watch like a bunch of, you know, people, I knew that they didn't look like me. Um, and so I wanted to see what else was out there, you know, as a native Hawaiian, like I'm very culturally connected to the land, but um, what else is like, who, who is, who else is connected to other lands, you know, and how, how do they interact with, um, their surroundings. So I loved reading books about um, just like, um, I, I liked fiction, I liked um, getting lost, but I also liked um, historical fiction or um, travel stuff. I just, I read everything okay. that I possibly could. And it was very much like an escape for me just to, um, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time with my mom in doctor's offices because for a very long time, we couldn't figure out what it was that she had and why she was just experiencing numbness and um like what it was like trying different treatments and stuff so because I spent a lot of time um in a doctor's office where you can't like play with things and you can't bring too many things to the doctor's office you have to kind of help mom move around too um book was always something you could pack in a backpack so that's, that's um so uh awesome and inspiring and I'm gonna ask one last question in this lane before we switch over to your academic professional life. For us, 
people like us, us mainlanders, we look at Hawaii, it's like a paradise. And we're from Florida. Right. We're from Florida, which is also. People also come here. you, you know, I still watch old Magnum PI reruns, right? So so my my question to you is, when you were a kid, what were the places that you most wanted to visit? And have you visited some of them as an adult? Yes. So I... um... I loved watching shows about um, anywhere on the mainland. Like I, I like seeing the different seasons. So um, like I live on the big island, we do get snow, um, but snow is at such high altitudes, you know, like you have to go to such high elevations to just be able to play in the snow. So I wanted to like be able to run around in snow and not be completely winded and dizzy because <laughs> there's only 25% of the oxygen levels up at Mauna Kea than there is at, you know, sea level. So I wanted to be able to run around in plain snow and I got to do that. Um, I've been to uh, Washington, Oregon, California. I've been to about uh, 28 states, I think, That's so far. That's pretty impressive. That might be more than Fantastic. I live here and I don't think I've been Have you, uh, was DC one on your bucket list, Washington, DC? Yes, I've been to Washington, D.C. I actually almost got arrested at the Pentagon. Um, I marched in the Macy's Day Parade um, for an all-state marching band. So we only um, had about a week to practice all together. Um, and one of the places the band director had us try to practice was the Pentagon parking lot after 9-11. So um, we got quickly surrounded by police officers. Yeah, was that wasn't a an, an interesting experience. Right? Wow, you, you have so many good stories. Um, well, I want to take, um, we're going to switch gears a little bit now and kind of go to your experience. You talked about working or mentoring, I suppose, students all the way from elementary school, uh, even through graduation. Can you share with us a little bit? Is that through the, um, the space flight program or is that something different? And can you share a little bit about the mentoring? Um, so I have, uh, like, I, I'm really actively involved in the robotics programs here in Hawaii. So um, there's a very active VEX IQ um, group. So I help to um, volunteer and um, kind of give feedback to some of the teachers and the students. So some of the students I have um, now in college were students um, in middle school and uh, elementary school when I first encountered them. I see. So you've been able to volunteer your time at this after school kind of club or activity. I I think VEX, isn't VEX the precursor to FIRST Robotics? Isn't it like uh, maybe for younger students? It used to be. Yeah, um, so it used to be. It's now a, um, it's a for-profit organization, um, but they broke away from first in about 2008, I believe. Um, And so they are, they're now um, their own entity. So they have everything from, I think they're trying to do pre-K all the way through um, university level. Um, In my opinion, I think that robotics um, is a great teaching tool um, for um, students who are very young and need to be able to like tactilely see something uh, like they need to be be touching it they need to see it moving um, they need to feel the motors moving but once students get to middle and high school I think that it's better to have them start like imagining themselves in careers that make positive change in their society um, and getting them to start thinking in like how can, like in that civic mindedness like how am I as a someone who's interested in STEM, going to make a positive impact on people. So I also do get to mentor some students through um, a program that I've started called Project Poke, or providing opportunities for Keiki in engineering. Keiki means children. Um, and so we have a program where middle and high school teachers 
take a course on spacecraft mission design. Um, and they're able to then go and um, bring a design challenge to their students. Um, and then their students spend as much or as little time as the teacher wants um, on creating their own um, spacecraft mission. Um, I don't limit them to space, of course. Um, I want students to, the, the main, the key features of this is the students need to define a community, define a problem that affects that community and um, figure out how they can use technology to um, solve or research further that problem. So um, they can do drones, they can do underwater, they can do like remote sensing, just like putting a camera somewhere to monitor traffic, for example, or do a search and rescue um, drone project. Like we've had a lot of really cool projects um, that have been conceptualized. So I don't limit them to space, but I want them to kind of see how technology can help to influence um, and um, shape the world that we live in. And just to kind of see that connection um, in their own communities. So I told them that their, their community that they define could be as small as their classroom or as large as the entire earth. Um, and so they, they needed to figure out what they wanted to focus on and how they wanted to, like what they wanted to do to um, create that positive change. So it's been really interesting. And yeah, yeah proud well, of you. Well, the reason I asked this and I'm thinking like, is it only open to uh, those who are in Hawaii or is this a program that's open up to, I mean, it sounds like it is because you want to be able to go and work with them locally, right? Yeah, so um, right now Project Poke is only in Hawaii. Um, we were very fortunate to receive the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund, um, a grant through that. So um, we received about half a million dollars to start up this program and um, kind of get it running within the first year. So our year is just about ending in about five days. Um, so we are continuing that through the Hawaii Institute of Geophysics and Planetology. Um, so our department is continuing that on. But yeah, um, we're really Great. excited about it. And is we're there, hoping like, well, to be able end, to expand you can it. share out any website or social media stuff that you want to if people are interested in learning more about that. But that's pretty great. Did you want to share a little bit about, you had mentioned um, the Hawaii Space Flight Group as well. So what is what is that? I know that it's not the same thing as your mentor program. Is that through your school? Um, yeah, so uh, the Hawaii Space Flight Lab is a, uh, or a research group within the university system. We are part of the Hawaii Institute of Geophysics and Planetology. Um, so we're kind of a professional group that uh, of researchers. Um, so. I, I got my bachelor's degree and uh, in electrical engineering and I stopped there, but most of my coworkers have um, master's or PhDs um, in mechanical engineering. Um, so yeah, we design, build, test, launch, and operate small satellites um, here at the lab. Um, we wanted, or one of the goals of HSFL was to be one of the first universities in the world to be able to do everything from um, concept through operations within the university system. Right. We've encountered a ton of different issues with that, but it, it's been a really fun um, 15 plus year journey on that. Right. Uh, a quick question about that. Do you feel like being Hawaii is so geographically isolated you know, from the mainland, has that helped or hurt in you guys being so vertically integrated in that you can do everything? You don't, you know, you do your validation testing, you do, would you say being out there in the middle of the ocean is good, uh, was a good thing, or was that a, did that slow down your development? 
Um, it's good and bad. It definitely has its ups and downs. Um, it's nice that we have um, pretty much complete access to a vibration table, a thermal vacuum chamber, um, an attitude control test bed um, that we can we can use, and we don't have to schedule time at a center to do our environmental testing. If if we have a schedule slip, not a big issue for us. Um, it is a little bit challenging because um, you know the spacecraft development team is the one who needs to be able to operate. <laughs> All of those equipment. Um, that's you. To you operate all of that equipment. That's us. Yeah, yeah. that's me. Yes. <laughs> I'm the one who has to climb into the sea back. I was going to say, there's not a lot, large number of universities or whatever on the island, right? So is this something that's only at your school? Um, or is this yep. something that other schools? All right, that's great. Yeah, yeah so it's at our school and um, if other, uh, like even research groups within our university, if they want to use it, they can. Um, so we have a, like we have a program where um, we bring in students, teachers, uh, other professors, projects, if they um, have a need for thermal vacuum or if they have a need, like for example, our community college is pretty involved in the ROCSAT program. Um, so they've used our vibration table and our thermal vacuum chamber just to um, test their payload to make sure it doesn't fall apart <laughs> and right. everything is, you know, well contained. So, um, um, yeah, we, we are interested in collaborating with people as well. So in 15 years, number one, there were far fewer women in CubeSats when you started. You can oh, yeah. speak to that. Second point is, um, do you see CubeSats being a great stepping stone you mentioned young children robotics but i think the cubesat is even a better tool for but i'm biased could you speak number <laughs> one being uh, a, a a woman early you know 15 years ago in cubesats number two do you think um how does the cubesat stack up to robotics as somebody who's been involved for a couple of decades in those programs as a way to train young engineers yeah um so when I first joined my small set team, um, I was the only female on the team. <laughs> and the professor was not incredibly um, welcoming to, <laughs> to me being on the team. Um, but I, I it was a female, I was a freshman. Um, and even in my classes um, for electrical engineering, for math, for um, physics, for chemistry, all of those classes, I was definitely, I noticed I was a minority. And um, one of the nice things about going to school in Hawaii was that I may have been in the gender minority, but I was definitely not in the um, ethnic minority. We had a whole range of people who looked like me, uh, even if they weren't female. So it was, that was good and bad, you know, like you, it, and it's been so inspiring to see some of the girls that I've worked with um, as, you know, elementary, middle, high schoolers um, go through the program as well um, and move up through university and, um, see them thrive as engineers. Um, a, a number of them have graduated and worked for journeys, and it's just always so inspiring to see um, where they where they came from and where they are at now. Um, I love running into my old students or, you know, when they randomly text me and tell me that they're coming to visit home and um, ask if we, want, if we want to grab lunch and stuff. So um, it's been really like it, that whole process has been so much fun and it, it's great and really inspiring to see that there's a lot more females that are involved, but there's still a huge number of um, males that are <laughs> in 
engineering and in aerospace, um, it, it, the disparity is huge still. Right. So, um, and I'm and, and I'm thinking too, like as I'm listening to you, obviously, like from an educational aspect underrepresented populations, we know women for sure in STEM, but just in general, Hawaiians, right? Like just the indigenous mm -hmm. populations are underrepresented in STEM. Do you think that through programs like your, I mean, this is gonna be an obvious question, but let me ask, let me change it up and ask it this way. Obviously programs like yours have a huge impact on something like that. Have you seen um, over the 15, you said 15 years, what are the results that you're starting to see from this influence that you might be having on those underrepresented populations? Yeah, so I partner with um, one of the schools that are specifically for Native Hawaiians here on Oahu, and um, it's so it's so great to like talk to the students um, just to see that like they never thought that they could you know succeed in science, succeed in um, engineering, go into a field like aerospace, but like they've always dreamed of it. They've always thought about it. Like it. Uh, space science is so much a part of um, Native Hawaiian culture and so it's I mean it's part of all indigenous culture <laughs> when, when it's nighttime you look up at the sky right um, you use that to tell you when when to plant things uh, when to harvest all of those things so um, that connection with the land and the connection with the sky is is huge in indigenous cultures and so um, I have I've seen the programs that I that I was involved in, like um, the Native Hawaiian Science and Engineering Mentorship and the ACES program, I've seen that expand significantly, and I'm always um, interested in trying to inspire more students. So, um, trying to expand that reach to the middle and high school level and even beyond that is um, definitely a personal goal of mine. And yeah, um, right. yeah. I'm I'm now seeing the um, universities uh, as a whole try to you know step up their game and try to be involved in like uh, reaching out and trying to build those connections. Right. How, so I've only been to two of your islands, but how hard is it? it in my limited experience, it seems like, for instance, Honolulu and Oahu is a different world from Hilo on the west, uh, east coast of the big island. I imagine there's a lot of educational disparity too. How how hard is it to move between the islands? And for instance, how hard is it for you to work with girls or kids uh, that want to be engineers that are on the big island versus uh, Oahu? I am very uniquely um, situated so that I have a lot more access to the big island because I'm from there. Um, I still have a place to stay there. So um, it's only about a 50 minute flight from Oahu to um, Hilo. So I go, I'm, I'm back on the Big Island at least once a month. Um, and I do work with a lot of the students um, in the robotics programs there, um, trying to build out the STEM programs um, that are not necessarily competition-based because um, I know um, I, I'm not a huge fan of competitions. Um, I had very bad experiences as a high schooler um, in various competition um, formats. So I always want to try to provide a collaborative um, learning space. And I'm working towards that with Project Poke. But um, I do get to go to the Big Island often. It's harder to get um, from the neighbor island. So uh, like from the Big Island, if I wanted to go to Maui, I'd have to connect through Oahu. Or if I wanted to go to Maui, um, I'd either have to go to Kona and then fly out from there um, because um, all of our flights are very much situated for um, visitors. They're not necessarily right. 
the most convenient for um, doing business with other places. So, I, um, yeah. I was going to say, I think a lot of us think of Hawaii as only like Waikiki, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, but, but there's, I was taken aback. I, 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 I was like, I was, um, you know, I have a friend who started a school in Oahu and I learned that there's a lot of poverty in Hawaii. There's a lot of, there's a great uh, disparity, right? There's a great range of economic, uh, you know, uh, resources and education and schools. And I imagine it's tougher. The geographical separation makes it a little bit tougher that you just can't take a subway, right? Are the, are the planes, uh, are flights relatively cheap for, like, do you have like a local rate? Do the, the, the Hawaiians have a, special way you can fly to make it a little bit easier to move between islands? No, um, we, we just have two airlines now, um, Southwest and uh, Hawaiian Air. And so we, oh, there's also Mokulele, which is kind of a smaller, um, they, they do like more 20, 30-ish people per flight um, type of flights. Um, and they primarily service um, Oahu to um, some of the smaller neighbor islands like Lanai, Molokai, Maui, um, Kauai. Um, I think they've started, they've restarted going to the big islands again, but well, it is um, isolated still regardless, because yeah, you know, like people kind of end up, I would imagine staying where they are out of either poverty or just yeah. fear not being able to, that's tough. Yeah. So until I was about 16, I had only been off the island like three times. Um, I uh, like off, off of the big island out of state. Um, I had been to Oahu for doctor's appointments primarily or like school trips, but um, yeah, when I, oh, when I was about 15, 15 or 16, um, I went to the Macy's Day Parade thing. So I visited a whole bunch of states across the East Coast. And then um, ever since then, I took basically any opportunity I could to travel. So um, yeah, like, but it is like, because I grew up poor, it was very difficult to travel um, and I like when I, I did most of my traveling as an adult, um, uh, but yeah, ditto. ditto. you yes. definitely see a lot of um, people who haven't gotten off the island for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and now it's a little bit cheaper to fly between the islands. There's like $40 one-way flights, but I mean, for a family who's already struggling to just, yeah. you know, and you have more than one person. Yeah. Do you, yeah, do you have good uh, high-speed internet on the Big Island everywhere? Not everywhere. You uh, barely have um, electricity everywhere. Um, um, there's definitely some like people who grew up on a ranch and stuff, and they have generators, and they've got um, their their internet is like satellite internet kind of thing. So no, so of um, course their their vision of what they see for their future would not even they wouldn't even know what your what you're doing exists if it weren't for you. That, that's well, really commend. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, if they don't even know that that's there, except you're bringing it to them, they would never have that opportunity. I think we might be frozen. Well, oh, well, we're, there we're we are. back. Good. Um, Maybe not. Either way, if you can hear us, we're kind of to the end of the interview anyway so we always try to wrap up with oh I think you're back but we always try to wrap up with a um oh, I'm back yay I was just saying we were we were kind of towards the end anyway and we always wrap up with a pretty generic question about advice that you might have so I'm sure that we have some students listening and maybe even some parents who are on that cusp of thinking about what they want to do with their lives and so having as being a person who's kind of 
chosen on that and, and working with mentors, what advice would you have for our listeners today? Um, so ask a lot of questions. Um, one of the biggest things that I learned um, growing up is that you need to ask a ton of questions if you want to learn. Um, and no question is dumb. Um, uh, and just use all of the resources, network. I am an introvert and I like going to conferences and stuff is very exhausting for me. Networking is really exhausting, but um, important. Um, learning, learning about the world around you, learning about how people perceive the world around you, learning different perspectives um, from other people. It's so important. Um, and so ask all the questions and don't be afraid. Um, don't think that it's, um, too difficult or people people will misunderstand you just just try um communication is so key and um no question is dumb and just dream really big even if you don't think that you'll be able to do it just keep dreaming and work really hard um if that's something that you really want to do like I never thought I'd be able to make it through electrical engineering um there were a lot of times that I wanted to quit but um it yeah just just if it's your dream and your passion, just keep going for it. I want to do a documentary. Thank you. Um, Number one, uh, I would like you to come visit us in South Florida. If you've never been to South Florida, we're a little over an hour from Miami and north of Miami. And we're two hours from Kennedy Space Center. So we'd like to invite you there. Um, And before we leave, is there any kind of website that you would like to draw anyone's attention to if they're interested in learning a little bit more about Project Poke, for example, or even what you're doing uh, through your university? Um, Yeah, so uh, they can visit www.hsfl.hawaii.edu. That's um, H as in Hawaii, S as in space, F as in flight, and L as in lab. Hawaii.edu. Got it. Perfect. We'll put those in the show notes too. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It really, um, like I said, it's, it's inspiring. I think you're inspiring not only, you know, other young women, but just, just people in general to, to go out and face whatever comes their way to really achieve those dreams and to make a difference. So thanks for that. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Amber. I enjoyed it very much. There are so many great parts to her story. I'm so glad I got to meet her. I think, you know, one of the things that resonates with me that I didn't mention to her is how difficult it sometimes is to be an introvert and do some of the things that you still have to do. Um, So in addition to her other challenges, right, she's found a way to overcome so many things and still the way uh, the way it's difficult to kind of know that you have to force and put yourself out there and kind of have that energy that it kind of depletes that energy is also important because it has, you still have to do it. So I think the overall message is you have to figure out how to handle what your shortcoming or what your issues are, whatever's holding you maybe back in other areas. Right. Um, I like Amber and I met her team. The group of students, Wolfpack students and I were at SmallSat this year in August. And that's where we met Amber and her team. And they were uh, demonstrating poke and they spoke about it fantastic students, just wonderful kids. Like Poke the food? Poke or program. Okay, because you yeah, have her to, program. I'm sorry, I was okay. like, I did not like the It was an intentional uh, name choice. I know that, right? I know that, but like, but, yeah, I think you gotta be clear. Some of us um, are envisioning, maybe I'm just hungry. That might be And um, in addition to that, I think she is my favorite Hawaiian person that I've ever met. Uh, I just really like, there's so many attributes of her character, her, her 
her her backstory and the the attributes that she effortlessly exhibits. Uh, she's a really good person. I bet she's a great mentor to those kids in uh, the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And I'm hoping that we can build a program where some students in Florida and some of her students that we can work together on some projects. I think that would be a, a really good addition to the Wolfpack. Yeah, agreed. Well, you know, it's um, more and more you see how widespread, not just STEM, obviously, but I mean, particularly aerospace and bringing uh, something like that to Hawaii, where it, it does seem isolated at times and it does seem like it has its own struggles with trying to you know keep up with with the rest of the world so to speak she seems to be making incredible uh inroads so yes well as always we hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you continue to join us remember you can help us out by liking and sharing the podcast please give it a review that helps us to move up in the slots for people who are looking for content similar to this and of course we hope that you'll join us again when we say let's, let's go, go to, to space, space.